As you progress in your career, particularly from moving from management into leadership, the ability to influence outside of your position of power is going to become a very important determinant of success. So you need to find the time and energy to invest in relationships. Leadership really is about 50% task and 50% relationship, doing and being. And this falls squarely into the part of like how are you being, how are you investing in the relationships? How are you getting strategic about your supporters and sponsors and looking for ways to just to increase the influence and the power that you have in the organization? Welcome to Unset at Work with me, your host, Catherine Stagg-Macy, where this week we are going to talk about politics and particularly office politics. So let's play a game. If I say office politics, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, maybe it's been like draining or gossip or toxic. So yeah, I mean, that's the truth. Office politics has a bad rap, something you don't want to be associated with because it's seen to be things like gossiping and spreading rumors or forming a coalition against someone that you don't like, withholding information to make a point. That's another example. Politics is something that people tell me they want to avoid. They refuse to pay politics. They think they're above it. But the point is you will find yourself, if you're not already there, at some point in your career having to do just this. Navigating office politics is essential to your career. Like that's the truth here. And so that's what today's episode is about, ways you can improve your skill at the art of office politics that feels kind of aligned for you, that feels in integrity for you, because there is a way to do that. Office politics isn't inherently bad, and I'm going to reframe it for you in this episode, and you're going to walk away with four steps that you can take to master the art of office politics, or as I like to call it, influencing. And it, because it is about influencing in relationships, you put a bunch of people together and what happens is you get these informal efforts between people to position themselves and their interests and their teams and their priorities. We are social creatures and we use relationships and informal influence as part of how we engage, like for better or for worse. So the shadow side of this influence, this use of relationships is, yes, is, is horrible, is the gossiping, is the coalition forming, the spreading rumors, but it doesn't have to be that. So the opportunity here is to see office politics as something for good. Like we all want more influence, particularly when it comes up and across the organizations, places that lie outside of your direct team. And I hear this a lot. How do I, how do I influence people where I have no positional power over them? Because that's kind of easy. Like by the very nature of you being someone's boss, they will probably do what you ask them to do. But when it comes to somebody who's more senior than you in a different department, a whole nother ballgame. So we want influence to get our project approved, to get those additional resources signed off, to get the support from, say, the board for a project that really matters to you. Or perhaps you want to, to give someone in your team a raise and there's been a a freeze on, on salary rises, but you know maybe you're able to advocate for a special case. Like that's going to have to require influencing a number of different people across the organization. So there is an art to office politics, and that's what I'm going to cover with you today. Before we carry on, I want to tell you about something new that I've launched that I think might be of interest to you, because I thought I actually want to provide a place where you can share your stories and ask for advice for me for free and get support because not everyone can 
afford coaching or is up for coaching at this point. And so I've launched an Agony Aunt column for work. You submit your work challenge anonymously and I'll answer it in a future episode of this podcast. And it's free. You can find the submission form at the bottom of the show notes. Even if there's nothing keeping you awake at night, share this with your favorite colleagues and allow them to get some help as well. So with that out of the way, let's get back to office politics. Where did it all go wrong for office politics? How does it get this bad rap? As I mentioned, it shows up, there is a shadow side, there is a dark way in which it shows up because there are political types, people whose values are really not our own, who in, engender everything that we hate about office politics, like the person who steals credit for other people's work, the person who says all the right things in the meeting and then goes off and gossips about what actually happened to the meeting and bitches about the chair, or the person who throws others under the bus without even blinking, or that person who manages to get away with never taking responsibility for anything that goes wrong. Like something like they're a, like a slippery fish. They get away with all sorts of nonsense. So just know that you can navigate influencing and influence other people without becoming any of that. Like that is the shadow side that we're not going there. The resistance I hear around office politics or the sort of framing of it is that it's just, it's just sucking up. And here I want to talk to you about mindset. Are you sucking up or are you focused on building and understanding new relationships? So like I'm, I'm doing more than wordsmithing here. Like I'm being genuine. If you have a genuine interest in building and understanding a new relationship, that's not sucking up. Are you irritated that you have to have a bunch of smaller meetings before a big meeting? Or do you actually recognize that there is power in being prepared and having done the groundwork and bringing your supporters along and giving them a bit of time to to be with the ideas that you're going to present and therefore giving your ideas the best chance at this meeting. Do you see these conversations as lobbying with all the negative connotations or do you see them as actually doing important homework, like gathering insight that you might not otherwise have unless you have these one-on-one conversations? So I hope you're all on board with this idea of exploring that there is value in learning how to influence better. So I'm calling this the art of influence. We're going to move away from that language of office politics. So yeah, how do we do this? So there are four steps to developing your skill in the art of influence. So let's let's unpack these. Start with the first step, identifying your stakeholders. So what you need for this is a piece of paper and you just write down a long list of, of stakeholders. And what do I mean by that? It's anyone who has a vested interest in your work. They could be in your department, in your team, in your division. It could be outside in another functional area. It could also be the ultimate customer. And if you grab a piece of paper, I will guide you through how to put this in a sort of visual representation. On your large piece of paper, draw yourself in the center and look at that long list of stakeholders that you have and choose the most important stakeholder. Don't overthink this. It's the person who comes to your mind first will be the most important person. Just place that person somewhere on the map. And their position on the map should represent how close or far away you are from a relationship sense that you are from them. If you're very close, then they can really show up on the map quite close to you. Now choose the second most important stakeholder. and Go with your gut. Again, there's no right or wrong. Put them somewhere on the map. The distance from you represents your relationship with them. And just repeat this down for your top stakeholders. If you've got a very long list, maybe draw a line at eight or something because you're going to run out of space. When you're done with this, draw a line between yourself and each stakeholder. 
just use that line to represent the state of the relationship. So if it's a solid relationship, draw a nice solid line. If it's a bit shaky, but you know, I don't know, something going on with us, the two of us, then draw a dashed line. If there's conflict, draw a little explosion on that line connecting the two of you. So what you have now in front of you should be a visual representation of yourself and your key stakeholders with in kind of one go, you should be able to start to see where the solid relationships are and where the relationships that might need some work. The second step is to think through what motivates each stakeholder. And this is going to be different for every person. Again, start at the top with your most important stakeholder. What motivates this person? And if you aren't sure, think about things like, do they like to to win? <laughs> or do they like to be right? Do they like to be liked? Do they like to be admired? Those are four very easy categories to fit people in. So they may be saying, it's important for me to get this project in on time. Well, yeah, but behind that, like go behind, what motivates them to want to do that? Is it about reputation, protecting their reputation? Is there a bonus tied to getting that project over the line at that sort of time? What might they be afraid of? Maybe they're afraid of being wrong or being rejected. For some people, the worst thing is being ignored. What are they core projects in the company and what matters to them about that? So understanding what motivates each of your stakeholders is, is an important part of you building some empathy and just to how you want to be in relationship with them. The third step here is identifying your priorities for areas of influence. So you've got a lot of information on front of you, too much to action on all at once. So I want you to prioritize. If you could invest in one relationship on your map, which one's going to make the most difference to you in the next six to nine months? And now with that relationship in mind, what are the sort of three to five actions you can take to invest in the relationship? Knowing what you know about the stakeholder. So you know the nature of relationship with them, what motivates them, what matters to them, how you go about improving that relationship with that person. And the final piece is here is like, what's the story of your project or the thing that you're trying to achieve? Maybe it's a promotion of someone in your team. Like why would this person, why would the stakeholder care? Let's say you're responsible for new branding of the company. So what matters to you about that? Being clear, and this is going to help you come across as engaged and caring about what it is you do. People are naturally drawn to others who are passionate about what they do. So how can you help that stakeholder connect their work to yours? How do you build that bridge for them? If your key stakeholder is, say, head of finance, likely they're not going to care about branding without you helping them make a link to how that impacts them in their world. Like how's it going to make their world a better place? So that's it, my friends. Those are the four steps that I talk a lot about in my coaching sessions. And that, particularly that visualization, that first step of identifying your stakeholders is often incredibly eye-opening for people. And it's a lovely way to capture all that information that's in your head. So just as a summary here, there are four steps here to the art of influence. Identifying your stakeholders, understanding what motivates them, identifying your priorities of the areas of influence you want to invest in, and then getting clear on your story, what it is that you're pitching. 
As you progress in your career, particularly from moving from management into leadership, the ability to influence outside of your position of power is going to become a very important determinant of success. So you need to find the time and energy to invest in relationships. Leadership really is about 50% task and 50% relationship, doing and being. And this falls squarely into the part of like how are you being, how are you investing in the relationships? How are you getting strategic about your supporters and sponsors and looking for ways to just to increase the influence and the power that you have in the organization? Investing in your networks and building those connections that can speak for you and your work will get you those things, right? The investment in strategic relationships is not a distraction from your job, but in fact, it's one of the most important aspects of it. So as always, thanks for listening. If you found this useful, drop me an email. I'd love to know how you get on with this. This is your wing woman signing off until next week.